I like it when somebody gets excited about something. It's nice. You just didn't know this teacher, Mr. Vincent. He could drive you crazy sometimes, him and that goddamn class. You could tell he didn't have too much brains. <laughs> All right, Theo, now read the quote from the book. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Fire the Canon, the podcast where we read the books in the Western canon and decide if they belong or not. Our opinions are objective. I'm your host, Jackie. I'm your other host, Rachel. And I'm Theo, the producer. So anyway, um, when we last left off, Holden had been visited by Sonny and Maurice, and Maurice beat the tar out of him, and Sonny took $5, and they peaced out, and... Holden thinks, I would uh, rather jump out of the window, but I can't do that, so I'm going to go on a date with Sally Hayes. And thus, the second half of the book begins. So the next day, Holden goes to a diner, and he orders a bunch of food for breakfast and talks about how he was supposed to be on a special diet to gain weight because he's so skinny, but that he never is on that diet and he just has what was it malted milk and swiss cheese sandwiches yeah he calls himself hv caulfield holden vitamin caulfield <laughs> okay so two nuns come in and he learns that they're about to become teachers in new york city he talks to them about how he used to get good grades in english class and he mentions old Grendel and Romeo and Juliet and specifically talks about how upset he was when Mercutio died in Romeo and Juliet because he says those two, they died, it was their own fault, so it doesn't really bother him that much, but Mercutio died because of Romeo, so he feels really bad for him and it seems like it affected them a lot. He gives the nuns a donation of $10, which I guess would be $100, right, Threeo? Affirmative. <laughs> Affirmative. And he tries to pay for their food, but they don't let him. And at this point, he also discusses his theory about suitcases, where he says he had an old roommate who didn't have very good suitcases, but that Holden actually has really nice suitcases. And he thinks the roommate relationship didn't work out because the other guy like had an inferiority complex about the suitcases and that the reason he was able to be roommates with Ward Strad later, even though he likes him less than the other guy, is because Ward's suitcases were just as good as his. Do you think he's thinking of it as a metaphor or a symbol or something, the suitcase, or is that actually something anyone worried about? It seems like his first roommate was worried about it because he said that when the roommate arrived, the roommate would always hide his own suitcases under the bed and Holden had left his out oh. and that he felt bad and didn't want the roommate to feel embarrassed so that he eventually put his own suitcases under the bed, but that as soon as he did, the roommate took Holden's suitcases out and left them out again which he says he realized it was because the roommate wanted people to think the nice suitcases belonged to the roommate. Phony. Oh, okay. So that's justified. Yeah, they had some <laughs> tension going on with those suitcases. Yeah, okay. But he said he and the roommate got along really well, and he liked him and thought he was funny and smart, but the suitcase thing was just too much to deal with. <laughs> 
So he leaves the diner and he goes into a record store and he finds a record for his younger sister, Phoebe, who's one of the only people that he seems to really like. There's a song called Little Shirley Beans that he thinks Phoebe would really enjoy. So um, he buys the record and he goes to the park that he knows she frequently plays at to try to give it to her, but he can't find her. And while he's there, he remembers his own childhood when he was very happy and how they used to go to like the Natural History Museum multiple times a week, which just seems a little much to me, but maybe that's a thing New York kids did back in the 40s. So if you go to the Natural History Museum multiple times a week, then by the second and third time you go, it's like recent history. Nice. Kind of. (laughs) It was okay, Jackie. That was an okay joke. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's just, you're just seeing the same stuff you just saw two days ago. (laughs) I guess if you don't have Google or anything, maybe it wasn't as easy to learn about dinosaurs and stuff like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, you have to go back multiple times a week. Like, oh, I forgot how long the Tyrannosaurus's toenail is. Yeah, I gotta go back. <laughs> he talks about how the dioramas and how he really enjoyed them because everything stayed exactly the same. But he said the problem is that even when the dioramas are the same, you are always different the next time you see them. That feels like a little heavy-handed, right? If, like, Holden's whole purpose is that he doesn't like to see change and, and stuff like that, just to, like say that about it. I'm summarizing it like it's it's not that <laughs> it's a little more subtle when you read it over several pages okay that's what he says I liked it because it stayed the same and I like it when I <laughs> when things stay the same that's the theme of this book <laughs> there's an asterisk and it just says at the bottom <laughs> theme yeah <laughs> so he he's on his way to meet Sally for their date and while he's waiting he looks at a bunch of good-looking girls and he thinks to himself well they're probably all going to marry boars anyway. But then he remembers he knew a boar once, and that boar was the greatest whistler he'd ever known. Like, a truly beautiful whistle. Yeah, even though he was like a huge, wiry-haired pig, he was still a great whistler. Yeah, he was such a good whistler that Holden says, um, I was able to stay roommates with him for a very long time, even though I hated him, because sometimes he would whistle, and his whistle was just so good. So, you know, anytime you meet a beautiful girl who's married to a boar, just think to yourself, that boar might be a great whistler. What a lesson to learn. That'll get you through it. Keeps the relationship fresh. So he goes to see the movie with Sally, and he talks about how the actors, two of them, are actually really good, but that he can tell that they know they're really good, so he's not able to enjoy the performance. (laughs) (laughs) That sounded like a fake laugh from Theo, but it was real. (laughs) No, I like when Theo does that. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's also some empathy in that laugh. Or not empathy, or it's like, I'm I'm pitying him, actually. What a ridiculous thing to think. Didn't you have something to say about <laughs> actors, Theo? I know what he means about, like, seem, seeming like actors in 50s movies were phony. Because I remember watching uh, Strangers on a Train, uh, the Alfred Hitchcock movie, and I think one of the characters, one of the characters is supposed to be a psychopath, and the other is supposed to be, like, the protagonist. And I remember there's a scene early on where they're, talking and just because of how just how mechanical the acting seemed i couldn't tell which character was supposed to be the psychopath and which was supposed to be the the like the protagonist was the mechanical acting on purpose because sometimes directors will say act 
like not all that human. I think he probably gave that direction to, to one the guy. Supposed to, yeah, to one guy, but they both seem the same to me. And the other guy was so empathetic that he just absorbed that character. <laughs> it was a Too good. At the time, they were really just like stage acting was the same as movie acting. They just basically were doing plays and putting it on film. Yeah. And stage acting is not, it's like more over the top. <laughs> yeah, you have to talk way louder. Right. It's not naturalistic. Usually. But you think they would have figured that out by then? Well, I guess people were too used to stage acting style. So even if you did act naturalistically, they would be like, "Ugh, if I wanted to see people like this, I'd just look around. I would just look at strangers on a train by myself on the subway. I, I'd find my own psychopath <laughs> to watch. <laughs> okay, so during the intermission, his date sees a guy that it seems like she doesn't really know. And Holden spends the whole time judging their conversation. He says the whole conversation is them saying places they've been and then just listing off names of people they know who have been to those places which is how he characterizes the conversation we don't know if that's accurate but so he says that he almost <laughs> thought the guy was going to try to get in the cab with them at the end of the date and follow them <laughs> last time i feel like you presented that to me as it was a game they were playing it wasn't a game can we play this game you say a place and then you say a person you know who has something to do with the place <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the worst game ever. Rikers Island. Oh, nice, Jackie. Oh, God, I'm always making Rachel make a face. No, I was just <laughs> saying I think it wasn't a game, but the way he <laughs> describes it, I think that's just so cool because that's such a hard thing to describe, but you all know when someone does it. You know, you run into someone you haven't seen in a long time and you're like, oh, so-and-so, and then, oh, this person lived yeah, across like, oh, the hall. Oh, remember when we were at blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're from there or whatever. Like, so-and-so has a summer house there because they're all, like, very rich. Yeah, she's on Rikers Island yeah, now. Yeah, and you're the Holden. You're the third person there, and you're like, oh, what about me? How am I going to get into this conversation? Mm -hmm. You know, try to drop some Yu-Gi-Oh jokes, and those jokes aren't working. <laughs> so a Sally afterwards, she says, oh, can we go ice skating? What's the place? Rikers Island. In Rockefeller, Rockefeller Plaza, Rockefeller Place, whatever that place is called. She says, let's go here and go ice skating. And he thinks to himself like, oh, wow, what a cheesy thing to want to do, but whatever. <laughs> it's totally different from dancing, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dancing is great. I think it's the place that she wants to go. And she says, I've heard that you can rent ice skating outfits. And he thinks to himself, oh, she just wants to show off her butt, which it is a great butt, so whatever. So they go ice skating and he talks about her butt some more. And they're both really, really bad at ice skating. He says that her ankles were curved so much that they were almost touching the ice, oh. which sounds extremely painful. <laughs> so, But her butt looked great. He called the dress a butt twitcher. Ugh. Yeah. That is a Kenning for you. Yeah. <laughs> but. Oh, yeah. It is. Butt twitcher. <laughs> so after they have a bad time skating, they go to a cafe or whatever, and he somehow convinces himself that he's like in love with her again. And he tells her, let's run away to the woods. And Sally very sensibly says, we're just kids. How would you pay for things? And he's like, no, we've got to run away to the woods. It'll be fine. And she tells him, well, we'll have plenty of time to do that when we're adults. And that's when he says, no, when you're an adult, you have responsibilities and you can't do things like running away to the woods. Which, I mean, that's true, but also when you're a kid, you can't run away to the woods either. <laughs> so no one can run away to the woods. He also tells her the problem with city life is everyone's obsessed with cars. And he's like, I don't want a car. I would rather have a horse. A horse is at least human. <laughs> well, you can't lose your virginity on a horse with all your friends. That's true. Someone's sitting ahead of you on the horse looking back. <laughs> and she keeps yeah. turning around. That's the problem. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. No, the horse keeps turning around. <laughs> like, what are you doing up there? <laughs> What's going on up there? <laughs> he also says about horses, well, at least horses are human. Yeah. I just like, said that, yes. right? That's how we started yeah, on the horse conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I think you, you guys forgot about the part where the horse, uh, where he says, like, at least horses are human. Yeah, we didn't say that. <laughs> <No>. Wait. <laughs> Wait, but now we have to say Nestor. Nestor, Nestor reference, Nestor reference, Nestor reference. Here's the Nestor reference. Go on. Plug it in. Okay, let's move on to the next part. He tells he tells Sally that a horse is at least human. <laughs> so anyway, um, he and Sally have this big argument, and she multiple times tells him to lower his voice, and he keeps saying, oh, I wasn't even talking very loudly, but we don't know if Sally's just particularly sensitive to public arguments or if he's actually been yelling at her and just, like, doesn't realize it. I think he's yelling at her and doesn't realize it. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely possible. So he leaves, and he ends up having three different monologues. One is he remembers a time that old Jane Gallagher was dating a boy who kept doing this one dive over and over again. And he told her that the guy was like very stuck up. And Jane said, oh no, on the contrary, he has an inferiority complex. And then he says like, if a woman likes a man, no matter how stuck up he is, she'll say he has an inferiority complex. And if she doesn't like him, even if he's very shy, she'll say that he's stuck up because he remembers a friend of his who was very a great guy, but very shy. And some girl thought he was conceited Jeez. girls always say they want nice guys like me but then when they get a nice guy they <laughs> <He's> say <conceited. laughs> So true. he's so upset afterwards yeah. <laughs> he decides he's gonna go see the rockettes and he remembers when he and his brother were little they loved the man playing the kettle drum because he says when he wasn't playing the kettle drum he always still looked like excited and ready he was never bored and when the time came like the two times he got to hit the kettle drum every time he seemed a little apprehensive but also really excited and happy about it it. A little yeah. nervous. He's about to make the big booming sound. Yeah, so he and his brother loved the kettle drum man. And he said his brother once wrote the kettle drum man a fan letter. <laughs> yeah, they didn't know his name or his address, so they just sent this out into the world and they just addressed it to the kettle man, kettle drum man. <laughs> he also remembers a time so his brother DB had fought in World War II, and he talked about how much he hated being in the army. He didn't actually experience any combat, but he hated the army. He hated everyone in the army. <laughs> he said he wasn't sure if the army was worse or the Nazis. And he says to him, oh, well, you're a writer, so you'll get to have, won't that be good material for your writing? And DB says to his brother, Ali, he asks him, like, who's the better war poet? This one poet who was actually a soldier or Emily Dickinson? And Ali says, oh, it's Emily Dickinson. And that's the end of that. <laughs> He doesn't explain why, but yeah, so, you know, we'll cover Emily Dickinson's war poem someday. The significance of that is Emily Dickinson wasn't fighting. She wasn't a soldier, but she was alive for the Civil War. So he calls up this guy, Carl, who he doesn't like. Shocker. When they went to school together, Carl kept, like, herding everyone into his room and having sex talks with them, and that once he was done giving his speech... The other boys who were in the room, sometimes they would turn to each other and have their own conversation. It's, and it seemed like Carl didn't like that very much. He just kind of wanted everyone to come in, listen to him talk, and then leave. Which reminds me a little bit of one of Jackie's exes. <laughs> the sex talk that Carl gave was mostly just about how to figure out if famous celebrities were gay or not. Like, he was very, very, very worried about yeah, that. Yeah, that was one yeah. of them. <laughs> He, he said Carl always would, anytime he would mention a celebrity, Carl would be like, oh yeah, they're gay or they're a lesbian or whatever. 
So he has a suspicion that Carl himself might be gay, but there's no reason for us to think that necessarily. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. Well, he talks a lot about his girlfriend, so yeah. Yeah. Well, he asks Carl about the girlfriend. Carl doesn't bring her up on his own. So <laughs> right, right. he invites Carl to the bar. And the reason he invites Carl is because Carl was really smart in school and he wants to have a quote unquote intellectual conversation. But once Carl gets there, he just keeps saying things like, how's your sex life? And that sort of thing. Holden says that to Carl. Yeah. And points out a guy and he's like, oh, I found a gay guy for you. And just all this random stuff. Like, it's clearly not an intellectual conversation. He's clearly just trying to get on Carl's nerves. So Carl tells him he's dating a Chinese woman in her late 30s. Carl's got to be 20 or 19 or 20. At most. Holden is like, oh, you like him that way? Chinese? And Carl's like, yeah, obviously I do. And Holden asks, well, what's so good about it? And so this is where Carl takes a turn and he says like, well, you know, Eastern philosophy is better than Western philosophy. And when you are with an Eastern girl, they simply happen to regard sex as both a physical and a spiritual experience. Virgin Holden says, well, I do too. I also regard (laughs) sex as a physical and spiritual experience. Yeah, yeah, in the sense that I've never had a physical or spiritual experience. Yeah, yeah. he's never had a physical experience. He's just a brain in a jar. Yeah. Oh, wow. So he's having this terrible conversation with Carl. Carl's clearly annoyed, and he leaves. After Carl leaves, Holden tries to pick up this woman who's the singer at the bar, and the woman has given no indication she's interested in him, and it doesn't work. So Holden goes outside, and he he's very drunk at this point. He calls Sally and apologizes for the fight, and he offers to go help her trim her family's Christmas tree, which was something she'd wanted him to do before. And for some reason, she says, like, uh, okay, yeah, sure, you can do that. So he hangs up, he cries, and he dunks his head in a basin of water. <laughs> he's starting to walk back. He goes to the park, and he's looking for ducks, trying to figure out where all the ducks are, and he almost falls in the pond. And while he's doing this, he drops the record he got for his sister and breaks it into a bunch of pieces and feels terrible. And he picks up the pieces and puts them in his pocket. Wait, but so he's looking for the ducks because he's taking matters into his own hands. He says, the goddamn cab drivers in this city aren't doing a thing for me. (laughs) There comes a time when a man has to find out where the ducks are for himself. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wouldn't it be funny if he goes down to the pond and he's like searching around and he sees Horwitz and the other cab driver and they're all like, oh, (laughs) they're all like, shit, we need to find out where the ducks are because... People keep asking. <laughs> and he and the cab drivers, like, they just look for ducks together. End of book. That would have been a heartwarming ending. That would have been great, yeah. It turns out they weren't really looking for ducks at all. They were looking for each other. Mm-hmm. The end. <laughs> at this point, he has a fantasy of himself dying of pneumonia and, like, everyone going to the funeral and feeling terrible. And then he remembers how when his brother Ali died, he didn't get to go to the funeral because he had punched through all the windows in their house and broken his hand. So he was in the hospital and missed it. But that afterwards, he had gone to the grave a few times with his parents, but it just made him too depressed when, you know, anytime it started raining and people left, he would just be so sad thinking about how his brother couldn't leave and he was just stuck there with a bunch of dead people. So he realizes at this point that he's almost out of money. So what he does is 
he <laughs> skips a bunch of coins across the water. And he, he probably skips, like, what, $10 worth of coins. Yeah, again, in 1951, this was a lot of money. Right. So he's like, you know what? I don't have much money. How about I have even less money? Yeah, let me get rid of $10. Just throw it in the water. And this was weighing down my pocket. He does that, and he decides it's time for him to go home. I would have advised him to invest. <laughs> or just quit buying so much avocado toast and lattes, and he'd have a million dollars. Swiss cheese sandwich and malted. That's the 50s equivalent of avocado toast and lattes <laughs> that's pretty good ding 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 a ling <laughs> he always has to make it weird yeah he does he's joseph in disguise tell your story jackie for one reason or another in high school and middle school um and college <laughs> because i wasn't really dating anybody um people just assumed i was gay so which is fine it's just that you know whatever but my there's grandma no reason to think it but they just no did. reason to think it yeah <laughs> But my grandmother somehow also picked up on this. And so one time we were we were driving and she was born in Brooklyn. She's got this wonderful accent. Well, she did pour one out for grandma. Um, and we were we were driving around and we passed this uh, this store called the bra patch. I think it was called <laughs> the bra patch. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> this sounds like they repair bras like they patch them up. <laughs> Isn't it supposed to be? Is it like a briar patch? But the bra patch? The bra. This is totally not like a, a secret advertisement for the bra patch. B-R apostrophe A apostrophe patch. I thought of it more like a field where the bras just grow. Yeah. I don't know. I think they grow in the field and then if you need a small one, you pluck it earlier and, you know, oh, so on and so on. Anyway, so we're passing by this and she says, Jackie, you ever been in there? And I said, <laughs> no, Grandma, I've never been in there. I'm like 14. And she was like, well, when I was in there one time, I was being fitted and the woman who was fitting me fondled my breast. And then she reached over and she patted me on the leg and she said, but some people like that. Oh, wow. Um, no one likes being assaulted. <laughs> that's not... I don't think she was probably really assaulted. I'm sure that's... The woman was literally fitting her for a bra. She said fondled. Anyway. Yeah, she's a funny lady. All right. And then we went to the Red Lobster and the rest of the day went on as normal. The Red Lobster. The Red Lobster. Some good accent work. Were you thinking about it for the rest of the day? I've thought about it for the rest of my life. She's still thinking about it. Still thinking about it. <laughs> Almost 30 years old and still thinking about it. Making all our listeners think about it. Listeners, if that's something you, you like. like being yeah. inappropriately <laughs> groped while being fitted for lingerie? Right in. So... After Holden uh, skips the money across the pond, he decides, well, shoot, I'm almost out of money, so I should go home. But he really wants to see Phoebe, his little sister, so he decides to sneak home. He tricks the doorman at his parents' apartment into letting him go upstairs because he doesn't want, like, his parents to be wrong or anything. But he gets there, and it turns out his parents are out at a party anyway, so... Um, he goes to Phoebe's room. She's not there. Turns out she's uh, sleeping in DB's room, the older brother. He notices before he wakes her up that she has a notebook laying out on DB's big, huge desk that she likes to use, which is cute because she's like a tiny little girl and it's a very big piece of furniture. But she's got this little school notebook and um, it says on it, Phoebe Weatherfield Caulfield, because Phoebe's real middle name, she doesn't like it. She likes to make up little middle names for herself. Like real middle names or like adjectives describing her? She uses Weatherfield as a fake middle name later, the the last name of her girl detective. Not like Stretch. Stretch. No, <laughs> Stretch. Phoebe Stretch Caulfield. <laughs> you know, I, I knew a kid, there was this kid who lived in my town and his name was Storm and that was his legal name and he had a younger brother whose name was Blade and then they had another younger brother and his name was Evan. 
the parents just got tired of it by the time they got to the third one. They learned their lesson. They were like, there are only two cool names in the world, Storm and Blade. Now we'll just have to sterilize ourselves because we can't do anything else. Storm, Blade, and Evan. Yeah, but isn't that funny? Imagine if you were Evan. I knew um, three Greek brothers who were named Andrew, Stephen, and Eftiki. It's the opposite of Storm, Blade, and Evan. Because Storm and Blade are way funnier. All right, so he talks about Phoebe. He calls her old Phoebe. I swear to God you'd like her. So you get this kind of like back and forth dichotomy where he talks about, you know, his kid sister and the story she writes and how she likes to wear white gloves on Sundays. And then She you writes get... short stories about a girl detective named Hazel Weatherfield. So I guess she really likes that name. Which, I mean, it's almost, it's pretty close to her real last name. So I feel like she could have just dealt with it. He says he loves little kids' notebooks and he could just sit there reading them all day. Do you want to talk about your little kid notebook story? Oh, I do. Don't you think, Theo? You gotta do it. So I taught English in Korea, and one of my students was named Olivia. She was so cute and so funny. She was a big liar. Like, she would just tell lies for fun. She told me when I said I was going home for Christmas because I missed my family, she said, oh, well, you know, I see your family every day. After school, I fly (laughs) on an airplane to your parents' house, and I have dinner with your family. And then I fly back. And I never bring oh, you. Hurtful. Yeah. And she said that she sleeps on the plane every night on her way back from visiting my family. And she told me that she's good friends with my sisters. <laughs> but she had this little. How many hours is the flight? It's like 13 hours or more, depending. That's how you know she's a liar. And how old was this girl? She was um, in kindergarten or first grade ish. So she maybe six years old. And so she gave me this notebook that she used to write in and she said this used to be my sister's diary but her sister was a few years older and she said my sister didn't need it anymore so i've been using it okay you can't believe a word this girl says she probably stole it from her sister and maybe it's not even her sister yeah that's possible but she did give it to me and it's so cute there's a diary entry from the sister that says today i parentheses me will give this diary to my younger sister for her present i hope she'll love it Bye, my diary. I had a good time with you very much from your owner. Olivia wrote that herself. No, the handwriting is too good. Today, I, Olivia's sister, who is not Olivia, will be giving the diary to Olivia, who is not me. (laughs) Olivia is great, by the way. (laughs) So the sister has a few entries. Olivia, she drew some little scribbles, and she has two entries in here. The first one is, I love eating, period. When I am hoogry. (laughs) And the other entry, she wrote something in Korean, uh, which is just like her names. And then her other entry is, me is love the eat. Me is love the eat. Me is love the eat. (laughs) That's awesome. Can we make a t-shirt that says that, please? Her two entries are, I love eating when I'm hoogry. And the other one is, me is love the eat. I want a t-shirt right now that says me is love the eat. Here's the picture her sister drew, your owner. So this is a sister and my sister. She wanted the diary to know who she was giving it to. Wow. That does look just like Olivia, I have to say, from when she and I hung out a lot last summer. Yeah, she flew here every day after (laughs) school. So do you want to have t-shirts that say me is love the eat? (laughs) Yes. And I want those drawings on the shirt. I feel like if it's going to be about the podcast, it should be me is love the read. Mia's love to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Mia's love to listen. (laughs) Who lies more funny? Olivia or Jackie's cousin? It's my stepbrother. Jackie's dad. (laughs) My stepbrother. (laughs) The other funny thing is one time she brought me a sticky note and on the sticky note she wrote, teacher, you is good. (laughs) 
I told another coworker about it, and she's like, you is not that good of a teacher. Her grammar would have been better. <laughs> hey, this is your producer, Theo, and you've entered the best segment of the podcast, where I interrupt everything to tell you to spread the word about Fire the Cannon. Please recommend us to your friends, associates, and especially all of the goddamn phonies you know. Another easy thing you can do is give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We would really appreciate it. Now back to the episode. Maybe Jackie will fill us in on what happens next. So he sees this cute little thing that Phoebe has her little school journal, and he wakes her up, and she's so excited to see him. She throws her arms around his neck, and she says, I'm going to be Benedict Arnold in a Christmas play. Are you going to come see the play? I don't know why Benedict Arnold is in the Christmas (laughs) play, but he is. Um, So he's like, yeah, 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 sure, I'll come. Holden says, look, I I actually, I bought you a record and I broke it on the way home. So he takes the pieces out and shows it to her. And she says, give me the pieces. I'm saving them. She sticks them in her her night table. So that's kind of cute. She's a good kid. I like Phoebe. We all like Phoebe. Theo, do you like Phoebe? Yeah, she seems really awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So they're just chatting about stuff. And all of a sudden, Phoebe says, wait a second. It's not Wednesday. You're not supposed to be home till Wednesday. What's going on? And he said, oh they let us out early and phoebe catches on right away because she's clever and she says you got kicked out you got kicked out she's beating him with her little tiny fist she's so mad she starts crying yeah yeah she's so upset daddy's gonna kill you he says nobody's gonna kill me because i'm going away to colorado phoebe duh i'm gonna live on a ranch she says you don't know how to ride a horse and he says you can learn that in two minutes god there's a lot of horses coming up in this book (laughs) yeah a lot of nesters. One second he wants to go to the woods. Another he decides he's going to go to Colorado. He's never told us that before. He just tells Phoebe. But Phoebe's really mad at him because she is mad that he got kicked out of school. So she says, why did you do it? Like, why did you, why do you keep getting kicked out of school? And he goes, oh, Phoebe, I'm, I'm just so sick of everything. Like, and she kind of mumbles something and he says, what did you say? And she says, you don't like anything. Anything that's happening. You don't like anything that's happening. And he says, well, what do you mean? Yes, I do. I, I like things. And she says, well, then name something you like. And he he's like, uh, it's hard to concentrate. Yeah. <laughs> so he kind of stalls for time. <laughs> he hems and haws for a little bit. <laughs> he likes Phoebe. So she asks him one thing you like a lot. And Holden thinks about the nuns that he met in the diner, how they go around collecting dough in the, in the beat up baskets. And he thinks about this boy that he knew at a different prep school he used to go to. He was being bullied and all of a sudden all of these guys came into James Castle's room and basically locked the door and tried to make him take back what he said about them bullying him, but he wouldn't do it. So they did something to him. He said one of them was conceited. And Holden agrees. He says, like, that guy was conceited. All his lousy friends went into James Castle's room and did something that Holden won't even tell us what it is. He says it's too repulsive, but James Castle wouldn't take it back. Um, so then Holden was in the shower and all of a sudden he heard this, uh, big thud outside and he thought maybe something fell out a window, but it was James Castle. He had jumped out of the window. He had died and he was wearing the turtleneck sweater that Holden lent to him. Yeah. So Phoebe again, just asked him, what is something you like a lot? And he spaces out and thinks about all this. And she says, you can't even think about one thing. And he says, yes, I can. Yes, I can. She, he says, I like Allie. I like sitting here talking to you. And Phoebe says, Allie's dead. You always say that. He's like, you still can like people even if they're dead, can't you? She doesn't really let him get away with that. But he says he really likes talking to her. So, But he hasn't said anything that he likes about life or school or hobbies or anything at all. So she says, what is something that you would like to do? Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? If you had a choice, 
he's thinking about this poem and he says there's this poem that goes if a body catch a body coming through the rye and then phoebe says that's not even how the poem goes that's <laughs> it says if a body meet a body coming through the rye and holden says well whatever i don't even care it's regardless even though i've misheard it <laughs> yeah which i said like this really makes me empathize with him because i often misinterpret things and i'm like i just get attached to the interpretation that i have like i like that better <laughs> yeah yeah so he says well i like that better if a body catch a body coming through the rye and he imagines that there's all these little kids and they're they're playing some game in in a big field of rye and there's a crazy cliff on the edge of the field and they don't know it so if they're running they might fall off and he says all he wants to do is he wants to be the catcher in the rye so that's where the title of the book comes from he just wants to stand in the rye field and save the kids and keep them from falling catch them holding them (laughs) holding them in his vitamin arms yeah. <laughs> no. It is vitamin strengthened arms. He eventually does cheer Phoebe up a little bit. He cheers her up. She's like, that's not a job you can have. <laughs> yeah. So he decides he's gonna, he can't stay there because his parents are gonna come home soon and he still doesn't want them to know that he's been kicked out of school. So he's gotta go stay somewhere else. And he thinks of this old teacher that he had at one of his schools, an English teacher named Mr. Antolini. So he calls him on the phone. And he says, can I come over and stay with you? Because he liked him a lot. One of the reasons that he liked Mr. Antolini so much is because when James Castle threw himself out of the window and died, Mr. Antolini was the only one who went over to James Castle's body. So he went over to him, he checked his pulse, he put his own coat over James's body, and then he carried him to the infirmary. And he didn't even care that the coat got all bloody. Mm-hmm. So he says that's a good guy. He also likes the, the teacher because the teacher thinks Hollywood is full of phonies as well. <laughs> yeah, he also didn't like DB's choice to go to yeah. Hollywood. So he's like, that guy, I'm going to stay with that yeah, guy. Yeah, what a good guy. <laughs> so he says to Phoebe, we're going to, I'm going to go stay somewhere else. I'll see you on Wednesday. They dance together for a little while. And then talks about um, how Phoebe's an amazing dancer, even though she's a little kid. She's just a great dancer. Then he feels bad about it, but he asks if he can borrow some money from her because uh, he doesn't have very much. So she says, here, I'll give you my Christmas dough. And he gives her what we calculated to be about the equivalent of about $86. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she gives him the money and he cries. And then he had this red deer stalker hat he'd been wearing throughout the book. He likes to wear it backwards. It's kind of his signature at this point. Mm-hmm. He takes the hat off and he gives it to Phoebe. And then he climbs out the window and runs away. He climbs out the window, runs away, goes to Mr. Antolini's house. So he lets them in. And they've kind of just had a party. So Miss, Mrs. Antolini is getting ready to go to bed. Mr. Antolini is a little bit drunk. He has a highball in his hand. And so he kind of just keeps drinking throughout the time that him and Holden are talking. Mr. Antolini says, sure, you can stay here, stay on the couch. But he also kind of wants to talk to him a little bit about his life. And he says, how'd you do in English? Holden says, well, I, I passed English, but I flunked this other class. And it was called oral expression. And Holden says the reason that he flunked it was because you were supposed to get up and give a speech, but um, it had to be spontaneous, not planned. And if anybody digressed at all from the speech, you're supposed to yell digression as fast as you can. And he got an F in it because he didn't like that part of the rule. He likes it when people digress. He says he thinks it's wonderful when someone gets enthusiastic about something and he just kind of wants to follow along and see what they do and that you don't always know what you're going to want to talk about by the time Mm -hmm. you start. So you should just let people go where they feel led. Mm. And so he talks about that for a long time. And Mr. Antolini says, I don't really know what to say to you. And what he says to him is, one day you're going to be 30. You're 16 now. You may not see it. But one day you're going to be 30. You're going to be sitting in a bar and you're going to look at all the people who come in and you're going to judge them for being phonies. Mm -hmm. You're going to basically think that 
there's nothing in the world that can make you happy. You're going to judge the hell out of everything and you're just going to give up before you can even have a chance to find something good and worth your time. He says, like, the worst possible outcome for Holden is for him to get fed up of looking for a place where he belongs or something that makes him happy Mm -hmm. and then just assume that that thing doesn't exist. So... He's tired and he decides to go to sleep. Finally, he admits it. Yeah, finally he admits it after this is page 190 in my book. The the whole time he's like, I'm not tired. Um, He goes to sleep and he wakes up not long after because Mr. Antolini is sitting on the ground next to the couch and he's petting Holden's head. But Holden freaked out because he wasn't expecting this guy to be touching him at all while he's sleeping, which is fair. Um, So he says, what the hell you doing? And Mr. Antolini says, nothing. I'm simply sitting here admiring. He doesn't get to finish the sentence, but I also think that's kind of a weird choice of words. But he leaves it ambiguous. And the other thing which we forgot to mention is Holden earlier talks about how much he, how it's nice watching little kids sleep. Mm -hmm. They're so innocent and like they have their mouths open, but it looks fine. And like, they're so cute, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if there was supposed to be a parallel drawn between Holden Holden thinking, oh, look at this innocent little Phoebe, and Mr. Antolini thinking, like, oh, look at this innocent teenager or whatever. So it's ambiguous. And he had said as he was leaving, like, Phoebe looks so pretty sitting in bed. Yeah. But Holden freaks out, and he decides he just has to leave right that minute. And he says, Mm -hmm. I left my bags at the station. I got to go. And Mr. Antolini says, okay, we'll come back later. He doesn't. So Holden leaves in a big, big hurry, and he thinks to himself on the way out, that he really, really hates when something, quote, perverty like that happens. He says, that kind of stuff's happened to me about 20 times since I was a kid. I can't stand it. So he kind of reveals that he either has been a victim of sexual assault or something that he considers to be akin to sexual assault a lot of different times. And he's uh, very sensitive to that. That's the only time he brings it up. And he's very vague about it. Mm Mm-hmm. So he goes outside, he goes to Grand Central Station, and he decides to try to sleep on a bench there, but it's really not working so well, because it's Grand Central Station, and if you're a real New Yorker like me, you know that's way the hell uptown. I'm just kidding. Is it? No. (laughs) No? No. Bad guess, Jackie. It's so uptown, it might as well be I know where it is, okay? Where is it? Give the latitude and longitude coordinates. A real New Yorker knows the latitude and longitude of everything in New York. That's true. Frank's Pizza? Frankie's Pizza, you know all of them. <laughs> yeah. Original Franks, old-fashioned Franks, all of them. And so that's where Holden ends ding, up. Ding, ding, ding. Theo, tell the story. Ding-a-ling. Um, yeah, when I was applying to college, I mean, I was applying as a music major, so basically all that really mattered was my audition. If you're hearing this, kids applying to school, still try hard on your other stuff. <laughs> I'm just saying that to preface. There was no need for me to do any of this. But we had to make CVs for college. And I saw that there were other people who had been like presidents of clubs or had founded clubs and stuff like that. And I thought, what about me? I could do that. (laughs) So I played clarinet. So I I founded this really bogus club called the Young Clarinetist Club. And I remember making posters for it on notebook paper and just like putting them up around the school saying, I think they all, the tagline was always, Come on, it'll be fun. <laughs> Very convincing. I, like, got signatures and everything to like start this club and I like turned in the paper. Did you get in big trouble? <laughs> I had to turn it into the vice principal and I remember just being like so nervous like this club is so phony to use. Uh, what's his name? Harold's word? What's his name? Holden. Holden's Holden. word. Um And I just remember her saying, all right, I need to check this out with the principal to make sure this is a legitimate club. And I just remember those words and thinking, 
oh no, this is going to be so <laughs> bad. And the next thing I knew it was like approved. And so I just like made this club and then I just like made a few of my friends officers in the club, like treasurer and vice president and stuff. The nepotism. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was very corrupt. <laughs> and I think we had one outing and it was like to go bowling. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this is actually much worse than what I did, but I got in a ton of trouble and you got into college. I didn't get in any trouble whatsoever. I remember they were letting us have shout outs in the yearbook for free. So I did something to all of my YCC members saying something about like, sorry, no one gets to have their honor cords this year, but nobody did their hours. So So you said that in the yearbook? (laughs) Yeah. And here's a shout out to the YCC who didn't do shit this year. Sorry, none of you got your honor corns. (laughs) Didn't put in the work for it. And I remember on those notebook paper posters, I drew this like little like alien holding a clarinet on all of them. How many arms did it have? How many testicles? I think only two. Um, two of each? Wasn't wasn't really drawn testicles. But Not like, back then. Ma- <laughs> that would have raised some eyebrows about, about my club. I think. And you said the young clarinetist club, why not? And it was an alien with testicles. <laughs> I was briefly a member of a club that I helped start with my science teacher. And we decided it was going to be like a sorority, but for high schoolers. And so it was just oh going to get like all... God. That sounds horrible. To me. I know. No, it was horrible. But what was funny, so we were like, we're just going to have like girl power and everybody from every grade can join. And we called it Beta Upsilon Nu Bun. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Shouldn't it have been Nu Nu? Beta Upsilon Nu Nu. Yeah. That's the name of the vacuum cleaner in Teletubbies. I think we would have been sued. Yeah, it is. Oh, Jackie's from Bun, by the way. That's why she said that. <laughs> okay. So we're back. Holden has just uh, spent a few hours sleeping in Grand Central Station, and he wakes up and he says that he's in bad shape. He's feeling sick, he's feeling dizzy, he's walking around, and he starts to have these kind of delusions of himself disappearing. So every time he walks along whatever city block, he keeps thinking he's going to disappear. So he, again, starts talking out loud to his brother Allie and saying, like, Allie, don't let me disappear. Allie, don't let me disappear. And he just says it the entire time until he reaches the next crossing. And then he says, like, oh, thanks, Allie. And he has another fantasy of himself, like, running away to just be a gas station attendant. And he says he wants to trick everyone into thinking he's deaf and mute so that no one will talk to him. And if they want to convey something, they'll have to write it down, but that most people will probably not want to do that so he won't have to deal with them. And that eventually he would want to save up enough money that he could run away and live in the woods and then find a girl to marry who is also deaf and mute. And they would have kids together in the woods and like raise them away from society. And then his wife would also have to talk to him through like writing notes on pieces of paper. What if she's faking it too? Well, if as long as they keep faking it, then that's fine. That'd be so awkward if they found out later. How would they find out? Like you see Holden in the woods talking to a squirrel and she's like, you're not mute (laughs) and then he's like neither are you you can hear me talking to this squirrel and then also you just said something there's so many ways that could fall apart (laughs) so he goes to his sister phoebe's school and he writes a note saying that he's really running away this time and if she wants to say goodbye to meet him at the natural history museum and he'll give her back her money 
So he uh, brings us the note in, like gives it to someone who works in the office to give to Phoebe. And on his way out, he just keeps seeing around the school graffiti on the walls that say like, fuck you. And he rubs a few of them out, but he's like, I can't get all of them. And it really, really upsets him because he's thinking if these little kids see this word, if they don't already know what it means, they're going to ask some kid who's going to tell them, like be so happy to tell them this horrible word and then their innocence will be spoiled. So he's just really depressed about kids maybe seeing this graffiti. So he goes to the museum. He talks to a couple little boys who are asking him for help finding some mummies. And when Phoebe shows up, she's carrying a big giant suitcase because she says, I'm going to run away with you. So just please let me go with you. Okay. Like I won't be any trouble. Just let me go with you. And he gets really angry He's at her for her. doing this. And he starts, yeah, he starts to get kind of mean. And he says, like, why would you want to do a stupid thing like that? Aren't you supposed to be Benedict Arnold in a play? Christmas will be ruined without you, Phoebe. Who will bring the children presents if there's no Benedict Arnold? <laughs> Who will betray America on Christmas this year? <laughs> exactly. The traditional betraying of America. <laughs> Uh, what if it turns out Benedict Arnold was like born on Christmas or something and everyone's like those three are idiots for not knowing this Benedict Arnold trivia that's not a good enough reason to put him in a play a lot of people were born on Christmas the big star who was born on Christmas is the one who needs to be in the play like there's a whole other holiday where all the iconography is Benedict Arnold instead of Jesus what if this (laughs) takes place in an alternate universe where Benedict Arnold is Jesus. Jesus. Wow. A lot of people in the world worship Benedict Arnold, and we're just reading this in the wrong timeline. See, that's wow. great. We need more bizarre fan theories. No, because he talks about Jesus multiple times in the book. Sorry. Well, maybe Jesus did what Benedict Arnold did in this universe. No, he, he talks about how much he likes Jesus and how he thinks Jesus is a great guy and he doesn't like the disciples. And he says he got in a big argument with like a Quaker boy Because the boy was like, if you like Jesus, you have to like the disciples. And he said, no, I think that Jesus wouldn't make Judas go to hell, but the disciples would. And that's why I like Jesus more. Maybe it's like a Christmas miracle that Benedict Arnold doesn't betray America. It could be. Uh, Listeners, write in and tell us why you think Benedict Arnold was in the Christmas play. (laughs) We need to get our engagement up. (laughs) So they have a big fight and Holden says at that moment he felt like he hated Phoebe and he's just like purposefully being mean to her. So she's crying and she like rips his hat off her head and throws it on the ground and he like picks it back up and he says, okay, I won't leave anymore. I'm really sorry. So he's trying to apologize to her, but she won't talk to him or look at him. And finally, um, he says, well, let's go back to school. And she refuses to go back to school. So he says, all right, I'll take you to the zoo today. And then maybe tomorrow you'll go back to school. She tells him, maybe I will, maybe I won't. None of your business. So he takes her to the zoo and he sees her looking at the carousel. And he knows like, well, Phoebe loves the carousel. So I'll just go buy her ticket. He gets her this ticket and she says, well, don't you think I'm too old? And he tells her, no, of course you're not too old. Just go ahead and ride on the carousel. So she goes on and she like chooses her horse very carefully, which he thinks is just great and so funny. And she rides the carousel and then um, she's having a great time. She comes off and it looks like it's about to rain. So she asks him if he wants to ride with her and he tells her, no, I'm actually having such a good time just watching you and the other little kids having fun. So she um, gets his hat out of his pocket and puts it on his head, saying, you know, to protect him from the rain when it starts. She gets some more carousel tickets and she just like rides it over and over again. 
and he's just sitting there and for the first time in the book it seems like he's feeling some amount of like peace and happiness just watching these little kids reaching for some big gold ring dangling from the top of the carousel. He tells himself, you know, these little kids, they're doing this, it's a little bit risky, like they might fall off their horses and get hurt, but this is what they want to do. You just have to let them do it. And he more horses, more horses, more horses. Yeah. <laughs> and he's finally like, he, it seems like he's had some kind of epiphany somehow. But so that's the, I can ride horses. <laughs> yeah, it is easy. You can learn in two minutes. <laughs> uh, just like I said, time to go to Colorado. <laughs> Bye, Phoebes. <laughs> uh, so that's the end of his story. We're back in the present. Uh, he says that he is supposed to go to a new school this upcoming September and that he has spoken to a psychoanalyst and I'm hoping that that helped him. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. Earlier when he talked to Carl, it turns out Carl's dad was a psychoanalyst and Carl says, like, as I told you in our last conversation, I think you really need to see a psychoanalyst. <laughs> so he finally does. <laughs> And he says, well, that's enough for now. I don't want to tell this story anymore because when you talk about it, you start to miss everyone. And he says, like, he's missing his old roommate Strad later and old stupid Ackley with the mossy Ackley teeth. with the mossy teeth and the toenails. And he's just missing everyone he talked about. And that's the end of the book. Okay. So we chose this book because Jackie said she hated it and we thought we'd have some good conflict. So what do you think, Jackie? Okay, I would like to defend myself now. So this is my turn. It's not defending. It's just taking back what you said. <laughs> I don't remember saying that I hated it. I read it in high school and and I, I feel like that's kind of funny. In true high school fashion at the time, I was like, this book is so stupid. Holden's the guy's a phony. just whining. <laughs> yeah, he's a phony. I say he just goes around whining. He's so privileged. He has, you know, everything going for him. And he's just whines, whines, whines all the time. So I didn't like it. And then I read it as an adult. And I was like, whoa, this is a really great book. Oh, so you think it's really great? No, I do think it's really great. It made a lot more sense the second time around, probably because my brain matured. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like it's so impactful. I mean, it's really easy. I think partly because of the conversational style. And I mean, I think it's pretty easy to access a lot of the feelings and the thoughts that he talks about. So um, if you can get past your own nature of hating everything and judging everything and thinking everything is stupid, then you can enjoy the book. Only a phony wouldn't like this book. <laughs> it's, it's a really good book, but it's so depressing. Like, uh, you kind of have to be in the mood to deal with it or already in a good mood so that even though it brings you down, you don't get brought down too far. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it brought me down, but not, it, it's like a wistful down. Like it's, it just makes you kind of look at everything a little bit different the day or the week or however long. I felt so bad for him. It made me feel like I was really sad afterwards. I think that's part of the reason we didn't have a good recording is because I had just finished the book not too long before and I was feeling really depressed about it. And I felt so mm -hmm. bad for poor little Holden. He'd been through so much in his life. Yeah. Even though he is a rich New York boy, he's been assaulted a bunch of times. He saw a boy kill himself. His brother died of leukemia. Just a bunch of terrible stuff happened to him recently. So again, when I'm reading it and I'm younger and I'm not really understanding what's going on, I think it's kind of easy to miss some of the more um, subtle things that he talks about. So like the sexual assault and I think him struggling with his own sexuality too is something that you can take away from this. And mm -hmm. if you don't notice those things, you might think, this kid's just... What what's his problem? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He should just go to school and shut up. 
I don't think there's anything wrong with Holden Caulfield that a good hug couldn't fix, I have to say. He punched all the windows in his house out. That's kind of wild. (laughs) He needs a hug, Theo. He's sad. He's a sad boy. You don't think so? In the first year of my undergrad, I remember there was a guy on our hall who was like always like really sad. Uh And my roommate said, you know, I really feel like somebody just needs to shake him. <laughs> I was just imagining like somebody just coming up, grabbing him by the shoulders, shaking him around and like like an etch a sketch or something, and then it's like all better. Do you think it would work? I mean, he probably thinks he deserves to be shaken, but I think he needs a hug. So your roommate didn't <laughs> think somebody ought to talk to him or hug him or you know ask him if he's okay. It's just like pick him up by his feet and jiggle <laughs> him around. <laughs> Did your roommate fix other things by shaking them? It's like this baby won't stop crying. He Let's... grew up with a PlayStation, that's why. Yeah. He's like, just blow. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm trying to go to sleep, but Theo's over there watching a movie on his computer. I'll just shake just him. Shake his I'll bed. Just shake yeah. his computer. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, I heard a theory. Some people are saying this. This is a war novel. Like, it's a book about PTSD, but Salinger just didn't want to explicitly make it about that. And that a lot of the traits Holden exhibits are characteristic of PTSD. So do you think he never gave interviews partially because this book was his interview? Uh, No, I think he's just like, I don't care, whatever. I'm not interested. (laughs) Okay, but I really like the way that that idea that I just said sounded. So I'm just going to stick with that. There are people who are like, oh my gosh, Holden is Salinger. That's lazy. Yeah. But the narration, the way that it's written, it's clear that even Holden doesn't take himself seriously. Like a lot of the times that he says these misanthropic things, he also undercuts it with a lot of humor Mm -hmm. like he he knows that he's being ridiculous as well so what's the theme of the book the one word theme one word theme baseball grow up (laughs) no i don't think you can summarize you could do the theme in a sentence i don't think you can summarize it in one word i had to purposefully read you know like a comforting book to get myself out of the funk so i finished that today and then Theo how do you feel I didn't read it of course but it seems like a really good book I think it's great I don't know if it is the best thing for teens to read but if some teens get stuff out of it then I guess it's worth it do you think there are any parts that don't really need to be there I mean it just seems like really episodic like there's some things that I wonder he could have like condensed the story a little bit I mean it's a pretty short book and it's all about the vibe so I don't think I would have made any changes I guess thinking about is there anything that could have been left out sure but i also think there's really no point to anything so i think that's something that holden picks up on and mr antolini is worried that he's going to continue floundering in this way and decide that there's nothing worth doing and that's why it's not that you know there's anything that could be cut out why not have everything yeah it's just him saying everything that happened to him If that's the point, then that's the point. I think it's a great book. It is a five-star book. The writing is great. But I I really like Salinger's stuff. I've read a lot of his short stories and things. He's a great writer. I think this podcast helped me bring it from what probably would have been a two or three-star rating when I didn't remember anything about it up to a five-star. Wow. Good job, old one ball. Hats off to old one ball. (laughs) Jeez, that's going to set him back. (laughs) He's dead. He's okay. I was going to say he died in high school. He died when we were in high school. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) So that's that. We really enjoyed the book. We think if you feel like you can handle the vibes, you should definitely read the book. If you disliked it in your youth, give it another try. So why don't we wrap it up and say our goodbye? Okay. 
All right. Well, we hoped you enjoyed or found this informative or maybe both. Yeah. We're going to be coming at you next week with the first installment of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. That's going to be our special little nod to coming up to Valentine's Day. So St. Valentine himself. St. Valentine himself came down and told us, you got to read Pride and Prejudice. So I think that one's going to be a whole different vibe. And it's going to be really great. I'm excited. I'm so excited. I have a good story about Pride and Prejudice. And as always, if you'd like to reach out to us and share your thoughts or opinions or suggestions, you can email us at firethecanonpodcast at gmail.com. We are on Instagram and Twitter at firethecanonpod. We are on Facebook as both a page and a discussion group as Fire the Canon Podcast. And we also have a Patreon, so you can donate to us, check out our tiers, our perks, all that fun stuff at patreon.com slash firethecanon. And as always, canon is spelled C-A-N-O-N. And now's the part where we say goodbye our traditional farewell our traditional farewell updated for this book here we go three two one so long so long crumbum i knew you were gonna do something weird and i wasn't gonna be able to go along with it